0: If you have your Bibles, uh, you can go with me. I'm going to read a few verses from the book of Acts, chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Last week, we talked about the church and what it meant to be the church personally. Um, we talked about to learn, to grow, and to serve. That was our purpose as a person being involved in church at a church. We are here to learn To grow and to serve. Well, today what I would like to do with you is to talk about what the church is supposed to look like as a community. Not just as a person or as an individual, but as a community of believers. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship." Hang on to that word, fellowship. And the breaking of bread and the prayers. Hang on to that word, prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them to the, the, the proceeds to all. As any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We're going to break down today nine things that the church should be known for. Wayne Grudem, he's a guy who's a lot smarter than I am, who's, who writes a lot more than I do, he says it like this. He said, the, th- these are means of grace. The means of grace are any activity, as any activity within the fellowship of the church that God uses to give more grace to Christians or things that the church does to establish itself and identify itself as a growing organism in the community, not an organization. All right? I want you to hear this. The local church is the vehicle that God has designed and employed to administer love and grace to its members and to the community that it's planted in. Did you hear that this morning? The church is the vehicle that God designed and employed. To administer love and grace to its members, but also to the community that it's planted in. And I want to talk about those nine things, those nine ways that we exhibit and that we get to put on the love of Christ. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, fellowship. Listen to what Hebrews ten twenty. you don't have to turn there, but hear this, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I'll tell you what this verse is famous for. This is usually the verse that we hurl at somebody after they've missed church for about three weeks, right? Like like somebody's not here for a week or two weeks or three weeks, and don't forsake the assembling of the brethren, right? Anybody ever heard that before? Anybody ever taken a vacation? We sure missed you last week. Don't forsake the assembling of the brother. Listen, it's meant for so much more than that. I want you to hear it. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. That means that to be a part of the church, to be meeting together, is, more about, is about more than just singing some songs and hearing a guy preach. It has to be about more. If we're going to take this time to stir one another up to love and to do good works, that means that we we have to engage each other in life-on-life fellowship. Let me let you see what this means. Accountability. Vulnerability. That means we're vulnerable with each other. We're accountable to each other. We're transparent with one another. See, because it's easy to go to church. It's really, really, really difficult to be the church. I'm going to say that one more time so you can chew on it with me. It's really, 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 really easy to go to church. It's really, 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 really difficult to be the church. Because to be the church, that means that others come second, God comes first, and we come last. That's what being the church looks like, and it's about fellowship. Listen, the church focuses on relationships because this is where real discipleship happens. Life-on-life interaction where honesty, vulnerability, and accountability happens. See, relationship, fellowship, See, the, the, the disciples, man, their numbers were exploding. And I don't mean numbers that they turned into a roll. I mean their numbers, the believers, people who were coming to faith in Christ. It was exploding. And you think, well, what was their strategy? I don't know, from the book of Acts chapter 2, they were kind of hanging out together. They were eating food and sharing life and talking about Jesus, thinking about Jesus. They saw a brother in need and they were like, I guess I could sell my boat. Help my brother. Listen, they were so, it shows you the depth of their commitment to their community. Not meaning just the city they lived in, but to the community, for the community of believers in Christ, to the faith family of God, for it to grow and it to flourish. They were so committed to it that their things no longer mattered. Their stuff no longer mattered. They could lose all that they had as long as the family of God and the fellowship of the Spirit would grow. I always act like I'm building something over here, don't I? Sorry. It's about fellowship. It's about engaging in one another's lives. um, I've shared this with you all before, but uh, I meet with with a group of guys on Wednesday morning. We meet about 6.30. And... At first we were going through some books together and, and uh, we went through a theology book together and a really, really good piece uh, by Wayne Grudem. And then we went through uh, just a couple different chapters of the Word. And, um, and then it, it kind of shifted. Like we had this formal thing set. But then one Tuesday, Wednesday morning, I can't remember, it was probably last year, it was still cold sometimes. Somebody just came in and just kind of threw up all their emotions on the table. Somebody walked in and they were just like, it's probably me, I don't remember who it was. But somebody came in and they were just like, Blah, 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 blah. This is what I'm walking through. And then uh, as I was preparing for this, I just kind of thought back to those days and how this life-on-life interaction, people that knew each other because they'd been walking together in fellowship, how they started just weighing in on it. I mean, they just started weighing in and started speaking life and speaking truth and speaking the word. And, and, and I've seen those guys encourage one another, build each other up, and people grow stronger in their faith. And I'm like, man, that's, that's fellowship. That was the intention of the church. Like that's why he said don't forsake meeting together. He's not just saying, hey, don't forget to show up at 10.50 on Sunday morning or 9.30 or 11 o'clock or 8.30. Don't forget to go to the church house. No, he's saying don't forsake assembling together in a place where you're honest and vulnerable and open so that the Holy Spirit might use your community to build you up in the faith. That's what he's saying. Don't forsake a community that's going to hold you accountable and make you live out what you've been called to and what you've agreed to. So you made a covenant with God to follow him, to pursue him. Surround yourself with brothers and sisters who will build you up in fellowship. That's point number one, man. That's a grace. God has given us fellowship. Eat together. You can talk about something other than your Sunday school lesson. It's okay. Like, talk about life. Talk about other things. Do life with each other. Engage in life with each other. Last story I'm going to share about fellowship, and I'm going to move on, but um, it was about three or four months ago, one of the guys in our, in our small group exploded in anger one morning. It was crazy. It was, it was, uh, it was probably because it was 6.30 in the morning. We'd all just woke up and nobody had coffee yet, but, but one person said something. The other person just kind of exploded. And I mean, everybody was kind of taken aback, like, well, this is crazy, right? We're just trying to have a biscuit, bro, and you're throwing daggers. So... It was crazy. And I watched in that moment as, as, like, that person was rebuked by another brother. Like, genuinely rebuked. Like, hey, bro, you're sinning. You're out of line. And, man, I watched that brother humble himself, confess his sin, and grow from the experience. And I thought in that moment, that's the church. Like, that's Fellowship. Because that dude that blew up two weeks earlier was celebrating somebody else in the community of faith. Fellowship has to be a place where we love each other for who we are without stumbling over who we're not. Do you hear me this morning? I'll move on. I'll leave you alone. Find fellowship. Plug into fellowship. I don't care if you do it in Sunday school class or Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, lunch once a week. Find someone to do fellowship and do life with. Don't just be an attender at church. Number two, another grace that we get to do, something that validates us as a church and as believers following Christ Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions, you are, listen to this strong language, this is heavy, this is heavy hitting. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Do you hear the voice of the Lord like the word, You're cursed. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm just like, whoa. We we, we haven't seen God in his full glory, so that doesn't hit us the way that it should. When God says you're cursed, you freak out. But it says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Listen, the church is called to be the storehouse of God's blessing, not a bank. All right? It's not a place that we invest so that we have our way. It's not a place that we invest so we get a tax break. That's not, Believe it or not, that is not what the church was designed for. It's just a place that we can get our tax break at the end of the year. The church was designed to be a place where the gift of God that was supplied to our lives, we sow back into the ministry and the vision. Why do you give money to a church? Anybody ever just thought about that? I mean, I remember when I was a kid... Uh, we would go to church, and my granddad or my grandmother would hand me a dollar bill or five dollars or whatever, and say, "Hey, put this in the plate when it comes by." I was like, "All right, just give the church money." It was a practice that we did. And I, why do we do that? I'm asking you, why do you give the church money this morning? I want to give you a couple things, and I want you to hear this this morning. We give number one because God commanded us to give. Most preachers would probably just hang there and make you feel guilty, and you know, we're gonna pass the plate right now. This is the time of the service where our ushers are gonna come and pass the plate because this, God told us to. No. We give to a church because we believe that God has made the church the local storehouse that He loves to funnel ministry through to the local community. We give out of obedience to God, absolutely. He commanded us in the Word to give, but we give with confidence because we can't outgive God. We give with confidence in the mission. I want you to hear this this morning. The reason that we sow into a ministry or we give money to a church is not just because that's the church that we attend to or attend. It's not just because it's where our parents went to church or it's the thing we're supposed to do. Hopefully, the reason that we give to a church is because the church presents the mission of God in a way to reach the community and to reach the world for the gospel. And we say collectively, all of us, I want to sow into this. I want to I be the fuel, man. I want to be the monetary fuel that pushes this ministry along. I want to invest in this kind of kingdom work. And hear me when I say this this morning because I love you guys so much. You have no idea how much I love you. But I'm not afraid to lose you because of something I say. And I want you to hear this. If this ministry is not a place that you feel like you can sow into, that you can push forward, listen, I pray that you would pray about finding somewhere else. If this is just a place that you just kind of attend and you don't see any investment or or any, any desire to plug in, and there's there's no mission strategy here, or no discipleship, or no ministry that you see going on that really just stirs and pumps your heart up for Christ and makes you want to engage in discipleship and fellowship and in giving. Listen, I challenge you, find somewhere that makes your heart beat fast. See, when I think about First Baptist Church, Tifton, man, there we got a lot of flaws. We do. We're a church that has all kind of flaws. We do a bunch of things backwards. and we, I mean, we do. We, we do a bunch of things backwards. But for all of her warts, this is the bride of Christ, and I think she's beautiful because I see lives being changed here, right? Like, I see families being united in this building. I see the gospel work of Christ being furthered in this place. So here's the deal for me. Like, this place makes my heart beat fast. Like for all the headaches and all the heartaches at times that you go through when you love a church, man, this is a place that I'm like, oh my God, what are you going to do next, Lord? And I want you to experience that. I don't want you to just be an attender. I want you to find a church that you believe is so busy about the gospel of Christ you can give your life to and you can give your money to. This is not a plea to boost offering and giving this morning or to, to fill up our thermometer or whatever we're going to do. Like, that's not a plea for that. This is my heart for you, calling you to search out your heart to see if this is a place that you want to invest in. Invest in for the sake of the kingdom that God might further the mission in Tifton, Georgia and through the whole world. So we give with confidence, knowing that we let me let me read this first, because I think the word is better than my words. The point is this: 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. Whosoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants you to be happy about giving. God don't want you to be like, oh, it's tithe time again. Right? He wants you to be joyful about giving. So we give with confidence. We give with joy. We give with abandon. We give with only one motive in mind, and that is to please God through obedience. And I, I'm going to make one more note on the finances and the, the money of a church, and then I'm going to move on, because I, I want you to be educated, Right? Like, not just of our church, but as you move on in life, and some of you will go off to college, other places, and you'll build a family, you'll meet a girl or a boy from, you know, Idaho or Wyoming or something, and you'll move there, and, and you won't be here any longer, and you'll go to search for a church. And I want, I want you to be plugged into a church one day, and, and some of you will stay here and grow old and gray with me, hopefully, but, but I always want you to be in a place where you feel confident to have fellowship and be confident to give, to sow your money. That means that a church's finances should be open and they should be reviewed often in an attempt to make sure the money is being spent in a missional way. Do you hear me? As a member of a church, you have the opportunity to hold your ministers accountable wherever you go, here and anywhere else, that the money we are spending, the money that God has graced us with, is done so in a missional, gospel-advancing way. And if it's not, we plug it like a leak that's going to sink the ship. All right. Moving on. Musical worship. Not only do we get to fellowship here, not only do we get to give here, but we also get to have musical worship. 2nd Chronicles 5:13 through 14 says it like this. It was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised, when the trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, this is what they sang. This is the words of the singers. They said, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And listen to what happens. The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Listen, musical worship that we get to do together collectively is spiritual warfare. It's a conversation between us and God. When we sing together on Sunday mornings, we're not just picking out songs that that sound good and are cool and have a good beat. We're picking out songs that delivers truth through the vehicle of music to you that you can sing back to extol, to exalt God. Because we genuinely believe that musical worship is a a tool for spiritual warfare. You say, TJ, are you sure? Well, the Bible said... That when they began to sing, the glory of the Lord filled the room in such a way that God was so attentive to their musical worship that the glory filled in such a way that nobody could do anything. They were just all kind of wrecked in his presence because he was so good and so glorious. There's also a reference in the, in the Old Testament where Saul, King Saul, is, he's grieved with a demonic spirit, oppressing him. And David plays some music and, and the spirit leaves, it flees. See, music, musical worship as a congregation is where we come together and lift our voices as an act, not only of adoration and praise to our God, but also spiritual warfare. It's where the army gathers, the sons and daughters gather, and they lift up the name of their Father together. And man, I probably don't want to see the spiritual world and the spiritual realm, but I can't imagine what it's like in the spirit realm when... In the spiritual realm, spiritual warfare, when believers get together and begin to trumpet those truths together and sing out about His grace and His mercy and to lift Him up. Amazing things happen. Moving on. Not only do we fellowship and give and, and, and participate in musical worship, we also participate in church discipline. Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two with you, so that the mouth of two or three witnesses, every uh, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. AKA kick him out. Now see, we don't, we don't function that way here, and I pray that God would grace us to be more bold and to walk out church discipline with love, because this is what the Bible actually says: that a church should do this. If someone is openly sinning, if they're a member of a church, and they're openly and unrepentantly, uh, there's unrepentance in their heart, and they're sinning, that we should go to them as an individual and say, hey, I see the sin in your life, it's not consistent with the gospel, and you're shining a bad light not only on Christ, but on our church, you need to repent. Well, if that doesn't work, then you're supposed to take two or three people, maybe from your small group or your Sunday school or from staff, and go see them and say, hey, listen, we all think you're sinning. It's not just one person and you're, you're bringing a name, bad name to Christ and to your church. Would you like to repent? And if they don't do it then, you're supposed to bring them up or at least bring up their name on Sunday morning and say, hey, this person needs to repent. Let's pray with them and walk them through it. Now, how many do you think that would be super, super, super awkward? Anybody? Well, check this out. Was it ever awkward? Awkward. Oh well, yeah, that was awkward. Never mind. I was, I was going to dive in. No, I'll say it like this. If you're in a good family, if you've been blessed with a good family, when somebody in the family makes a mistake, when somebody's derailing their life, a loving family does what? Usually the patriarch or matriarch, the dad, the mom, the grandpa, grandma, they'll, they'll go to them and they'll say, hey, listen, I, how can we help? How can we serve? How can we, how can we love you through this moment? And if that doesn't work... Some cousins usually rally around, brothers and sisters, right? See, if we fellowshiped like point number one says we're supposed to, it wouldn't be awkward when we confronted people in sin because they would know that we're doing it out of love and we want to grow as a community of faith. Hear this. We should follow through with church discipline, even if it's awkward and hard and difficult, because... It maintains the integrity of a church and it honors the name of Christ. Also, believe it or not, it's in the Bible. We should do it because if nothing else, it's kind of in the Bible. And we should be doing things that are in the Bible as a church, right? You can, yeah, We should. I pray that God would move us to be a church that is loving and gracious enough to love our members and our staff enough to hold them accountable to church discipline. It'll take years to get us there. It takes years to get any church there that wants to do it right, but I pray over the next several years that we move in a place to where we know that we're loved and cared for and surrounded by so much grace and mercy in this place that discipline doesn't feel like condemnation, but it feels like a family rallying around someone to see them succeed. Do you hear me? All right. Evangelism. Not only should we be known for musical worship discipline, but also evangelism. It's kind of why we exist. Go into all the world, right? We exist to make disciples, not just converts, not just getting people converted to Christianity. We exist for evangelism, to make disciples, to make more of us, to multiply as believers. Scripture says it is written. He said unto them in Matthew twenty-one thirteen, "My house will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a." Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew nine thirty-eight. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into the harvest field. Men, we have got to be workers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Let's get our hands calloused with the work of the gospel. Let's be evangelists. If we believe we have this incredible hope inside of us, let us share this incredible hope inside of us. And I pray that we're a church known. Man, that's First Baptist. Man, That's a church. Man, every time I meet somebody from there, they're always talking about that Jesus guy. They're talking about the impact that Jesus has had on their life and how Jesus has radically changed them. And for some reason, they're always inviting me. (laughs) They're always wanting me to know this Jesus guy and to fall in love with him. I would love that to be our reputation. Prayer. Prayer is the heartbeat of every powerful church. In every place that the Spirit of God is moving, you can be sure of one thing. The people of God are praying. Did you hear me? Every time you see the Spirit of God moving, you can be sure of one thing. People of God are praying. Jesus said, it "Is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Listen, Charles Spurgeon, he's one of my favorite theologians. He's been dead quite a while. And he has some incredible things to say, and this is what he said The condition of the church may very accurately be gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a grace ometer? Reading these old theologians not, makes me not feel so bad about the words I create on accident sometimes. So is the prayer meeting a grace ometer? And from it we may judge the amount of divine working among the people. Listen to this. If God be near a church, it must pray. If God is going to be near a church, it must pray. And if he is not there, on the first token of his absence will be the slothfulness in prayer. The first token of his absence, the first thing that can, you can be sure of if you can't feel God or see God or experience God or hear God in his church is that the church is slothful in prayer. I pray that God would make us a church that is busy about prayer. I, I'm serious. God would set our community on fire if we had as many prayer meetings as we have committee meetings we had as many prayer meetings, genuine prayer meetings as we have deacons meeting or or any other kind of meeting that we have, if we were busy about praying, that isn't a shot at committees, that isn't a shot at the deacons, that's the truth. If we met for prayer, what if we were so passionate about seeking the face of God that we just couldn't help but meet? I mean, we, we, as a church, we're passionate about a million other things. We're, we're passionate about the, the flowers, and we're passionate about the grounds, and we're passionate about construction, and we're, we're passionate about discipleship, and we're passionate about the 1050, and we're passionate about the, the music committee and the activities, and we're passionate about all these things. So why, why do we meet? Because we want to see something happen. Are we passionate about the mission of God? Then Pray. We believe that God can move. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I'll heal their land, I'll forgive their sin, man. He said, if you'll do it, I'll move. So oftentimes we're like, no, let's meet. And God's like, no, pray. I want this to happen. Have another meeting. No, pray. 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 Seek my face. Baptism and communion. We're going to wrap up. The church should be known for baptisms. I would love for the reputation of our church. Yeah, man, every time I turn around, that church is dunking somebody in water. Why are they doing that? See, the baptism, it's one of the nine things I listed out that we get to do here as a family because it's the moment of celebration when someone wants to publicly tell the world that they've committed their life to Christ. That Christ has taken their sin and replaced it with His righteousness, and they've been born again. Baptism is the thing that we do to identify them with Christ, and we, we put them under the water. Why? Because well, Jesus kind of patterned baptism by, uh, by immersion as the way to do it when he had it done to himself. But then he also said, go and baptize the world. And the disciples began to baptize people. And he said, go in all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Listen, people are buried under the water, and they raise up a new life. They're raised up in new life. Not clean by the water. There's nothing salvific about the water. The water doesn't save us. But it, it's a celebration to tell our whole church and our community, look, I was buried with Christ. I'm brand new. I'm in full life with Him now. We should be a church that's known for our baptisms. And we should be a church that continually celebrates communion like we do. Whether it's a quarter or whatever, Sunday nights, or you know, once a year, twice a year in here, we celebrate communion. And I want you to think about this as we wrap up today. We're a church... It's busy about fellowship, giving, musical worship, discipline, evangelism, prayer, and baptism. The last point I want you to think about is communion. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23-25, says, For I received from the Lord that which was also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Man, I want to be a church that's busy about all those other things that I listed, but I also want to be a church that's really, 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 really busy about having communion. Just by communion, I mean celebrating and lifting up the fact that Christ Jesus went to a cross and died for our sin, was resurrected on the third day, and now sits at the right hand of God the Father. Do you hear me this morning? I mean, think about what we do here. I mean, we, we put crosses on our necklaces, don't we? we? Some people get them tattooed on their body, like we, we paint them on the walls, put them on business cards. We lift up the cross. It's like putting an electric chair on our neck. That's what it is. It was a Roman tool of brutality to crucify and crush our Savior. He said, TJ, well, it's crazy. Why do we want to lift up an electric chair? Why do we want to lift up this Roman tool of abuse and, and murder? Why do we lift it up? Because it's the means by which God saved the world. He used the cross. And for you and I to, to have a full life in Christ, we have to embrace the cross, and we have to embrace what Christ did on the cross I want us to be a giving church. I want us to be a church that fellowships. I want us to be a church that celebrates in musical worship and in baptism and evangelism and prayer. But, man, more than anything, I want us to be a a church that looks at the cross and delights in the work of Christ and takes that to the world, that we do not forget. Jesus said, Do this in remembrance of me. Oh, that we would be a church that would not forget the cross. Oh, that we would be a church that would not forget the cross. Let's pray today. Today, together. Father, we love you. <laughs> we love you so much. And you have blessed us to be a church. And God, there's areas that we need to grow in as the church locally. And there's areas that we're 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 hitting the ball out of the park in, God, Lord. And you've blessed us to be able to do that. So I pray today that you would increase our fellowship, our accountability, and our vulnerability, and our God, our honesty with each other. God, I pray that you would increase our giving. God, not just of money and monetary things, but of our affection, our emotion to the cause of Christ, our time and our our energy, God. I pray that you would increase our musical worship, God, Lord, that you would help us to celebrate together. God, just to have a party when we get together. We're celebrating the fact, Father, that you redeemed us. And God, I pray you help us to be a church that's, that's passionate about discipline. Your word says that you discipline those that you love, God. Your word says that that, that's how we would know that you love us because you discipline us. Help us to be a church that's not passive or scared, but that's full of grace and that's bold to, to discipline the members, those who've entrusted us with their watch care. God, make us a church that's evangelistic in nature. God, Lord, that when people think of us, they think of a church that's always talking about, sharing, and doing things to advance the gospel. God, make us a people of prayer. We know that that's the powerhouse. That's the engine that runs the church. God, prayer God is the engine of the kingdom, God. Anywhere that we see you moving, we can always be sure there's someone praying. So God, make us a people of prayer. God, God let us increase our baptisms, Lord. Let's walk with people from, from their, non, God, their days of spiritual depravity to their days of being new converts and babes in Christ. Let us celebrate in baptism. And Lord, help us to remember today. Help us to remember the cross as we commune with you, God. God, make us serious about communion, celebrating your life, your death, and your resurrection. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.